Hey, Business Building Warrior, it's Jim. And today's episode is with a brother-sister team. They run an Amazon business that's doing about a million dollars a year with aspirations to grow very quickly. And they've got some really cool things that they're doing to make that happen. They're coaching students on our team. They're proven Amazon course students. Check this out. They were actually part of a mastermind with some of our coaches in our community who told them about this community and said, hey, if you're going to be selling on Amazon, you got to check out the Proven Amazon course. You got to check out this coaching team. And slowly they've become integrated into our community and they've got nothing but positive things to share. They're doing some branded bundles as one of the new adventures they're getting into with our team. You'll hear them mention Humminbird, which is our branding team and services where we help you create a trademark and get brand registered, all that stuff that allows you to combine everyday common household items with name brand items into a bundle and then sell them on Amazon without worrying about competitors jumping on your listing once it gets momentum. Pretty cool concept. But they also sell a lot of interesting products from around the world, especially today. Lisa talks about how she just has a passion for helping customers find those unique foods, those interesting items, those things that are otherwise hard to find from around the world. And she really enjoys the relational aspect of the business. And John is more the numbers guy, but it's fun going through the dynamics of how they've built what they've built. They're very methodical, very disciplined, and just full of great ideas and strategies that apply from everyone from new sellers all the way up to the more advanced sellers And I just love their heart for what it is that they do. You can tell they're very passionate about it. They're very committed. And they asked us to not share their last name. They're not looking to generate a bunch of attention or competitors, but we are going to put them on screen so you can kind of see them interacting. It's really fun. It's a brother-sister. It's it's really fun watching the way they interact and and kind of go back and forth with each other. Uh, Let me see if there's anything else in the notes that we need to cover before we go. Yeah, here's one thing that it's 95% grocery items, they told us. Uh, international foods. And they've quickly gone from $25,000 months to $50,000 months to $100,000 plus months. They're growing. They're rapidly increasing. They've got a team of about four people, including some folks in the Philippines. And one of the things that John shared with us after we stopped recording was just how valuable it is relationally to be part of what we've got going on around here. Just those small connections, those conversations, the ability to interact with people who are doing this business the right way, just how quickly it's propelled their business forward. So it was really great hanging out with these guys today. It's going to be an episode that's full of very specific tips and strategies and ideas. It shows you the kind of things that we're teaching around here, the kind of great students that we're attracting. And maybe this will get you excited. You want to jump over and buy the Proven Amazon course while it's still just $29 a month? this might be the episode that convinces you to do it because that's where these guys got to start. And just so you know, we are considering very strongly in the near future, changing that from 29 a month up to $99 a month, which is quite a jump, I know, but it's worth way more than that. If you're locked in at 29 though, you'll never pay more than that. That's full access to all of our Amazon training modules, all the training and the content and the events that we do around here that have to do with Amazon, constantly updated, new content being added weekly or monthly at a minimum. It's a huge, important step for so many of the success stories that you've seen, the hundreds of success stories in our community. Just like John and Lisa, who you'll meet today, that's where they started as well, to integrate into this community and start to learn the strategies that we teach. So without any other announcements, I don't think I've got anything else for you. Nope. Let's jump over. I'm going to flip a couple buttons here and we'll meet the brother and sister team John and Lisa. Enjoy. So John and Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Jim. It's truly an honor. And I want to jump right into your story, guys. So how about we do this? John, how about you take the microphone, buddy? Jump in. Okay. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. So yeah, uh, my name is John. I've been selling on uh, Amazon for just over six plus years now. Prior to that, I used to be in finance and trading. And then um, I had a friend who sold um, high-end baby shoes because he had a baby. And he told me about this Amazon opportunity. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And uh, around the same time, my godmother's mom, uh, sorry, my godmother's grandmother ran a physical ethnic food store. And I always found it interesting because I was like, I like markets trading. I like food. 
And so I was like, I wonder what I could do there. So my first worry was actually to talk to her and ask her what she would do. So she, you know, gave me a list of things she sells in the store, put me in touch with a, a distributor. And that was my first iteration of starting. So mostly it was of an African persuasion and Asian persuasion. And uh, since then, we've evolved. We don't even do any more African stuff, and uh, mostly European and uh, stuff. So I guess for me, the story was, you know, always like numbers, data, buying and selling, and more of that from numbers on the screen to the joy and awesomeness of supply chain issues when it comes to moving and selling fiscal goods. And uh, I do that with groceries uh, primarily. So that's my story. Gotcha. Yeah, good, good overview summary. All right. So thank you, Lisa. What do you leave out? You get let us uh, meet you a little bit. And you guys are brother and sister team too. That's just really cool, right? Yeah. So John is actually my big brother. I'm the baby of the family. There's three of us. Um, two brothers, John, Charles, and then myself, Lisa. I joined John in 2018 to help with the Amazon business. And prior to that, I used to um, work in early childhood research because I studied child development in college. I always thought I would go on to med school to become a pediatrician, but the pre-med classes didn't help. I kept failing at them, and so I figured it wasn't really for me. And so before, right before I joined him, I'd just been um, laid off from my early childhood research. The grants had run out for the program we were running, which was for mindfulness for kids in kindergarten up until second grade. And so I kept applying to all kinds of jobs and not really finding anything. And John said, hey, you know, would, do you want to be my PA before you, whilst you find something? And I said, sure. So that was in the um, end of August 2018. And so I started with him on a part-time basis. He's like, I can't pay you that much. But I was like, yeah, I need a job. I'll do it. And so that's how I got into the Amazon business. I, I knew nothing about business apart from, you know, one or two econ classes I'd taken in college. But I don't think that helped <laughs> prepare me in any way for the Amazon uh, world. But yeah, I think just heading straight in, you know, John shared a bunch of courses and I started reading stuff and just starting to learn more about it. Understood. So you hired your little sister as your personal assistant, huh? So I'm curious, how long have you guys been doing that now? A couple of years, you said? Uh, yeah, we've been working together for about uh, three, four years. Um, okay. Yeah, three years, actually. Actually, one other thing I forgot to add. It's funny, it's come all around because our mom has always been an entrepreneur. And it's interesting because Lisa and I, I feel like we're just the no modern incarnation, but the younger generation was literally doing the same thing my mom used to do buying and selling you taking a different shape but it's interesting how it's come full circle so i just thought it was an interesting way how that worked out so yeah you've kind of got that entrepreneurial gene in the family pool if you will i think a lot more people are entrepreneurs than really recognize it we treat it sometimes like it's this unique gift that some people have some people don't i think just about everybody does it really all entrepreneurism is serving other people right i mean that's what owning a business is True. Uh, but not all of us launch new businesses. And that's, you know, we don't, that, that's the adventurous side of this thing, right? Well, I, I'm curious how it's gone though, having your little sister as your assistant. Like, what's the dynamic there? Like, do you guys ever struggle? Has it been pretty smooth? Talk us through that for just a minute. Well, she initially started off as an assistant, but she's now pretty much the chief operating officer and focused on the psychologist side. And I handled the data supply chain. At times, I say, you know, she's my boss because she she keeps the, the train going and stuff. And I think it's a good dynamic because we get to work together, but we're also, you know, family and we actually work out of the same piece. And so it's good because you always get a chance to see stuff. And it's been really good for me specifically because I say um, in the business um, growth, when I started, it was, you know, going by myself doing stuff. And then there was definitely a significant increase in the business once you joined because, um, you know, when you're one-man show, you do any and everything, even things you don't like to do. I can do the operations, but I'm not really good at... I mean, she's way better than I am. So again, I mark the trajectory in the business by the head during the business and other you know, team members who've added down the line. So I think it's really good. It's obviously an interesting dynamic being family, but I think we navigate it very well. I don't think we've ever had any blow up. Maybe once one or two disagreements that we settle, but majority of the time, I think we all dial in, we all focus, we know what we want to do with this. And because of that, we uh, have a good thing going together. That's great. What would you add to that, Lisa? Anything from what your brother just said? Any any other little lessons there? So my personality is different from his. John is super chill about everything. 
and I'm type A. And so that's what you need a bit, someone who is type A in a business just to get things going and the structure and stuff. So I think me joining helped the business with that because I came on board and helped to like document SOPs. I started, you know, quarterly goals for the team. I created an employee handbook saying this is what our company values. You know, this is what is expected of everyone. Trello, this is what we are doing. So a lot of structure, I would say. And John is very good with the numbers and analytics. So I think we balance each other out that way. I mean, obviously, it's a brother and sister. And I think if I was older, it might be different. But because I'm younger, sometimes he's like, are you really like asking me to do this? or like, can you give me a break with this one? And I'm like, no, I need you to do this today. So, yeah, it's kind of fun sometimes getting to tell him what to do. <laughs> and I'm not joking. She writes me hard. But again, I know we're going to go into the stories down the line. But a good example of telling my team, we're having a meeting now. It's like, I'm not good on like necessarily sourcing and stuff, but working with her. And she was like, we're going to do an example. And like, she worked through it. And I was like, huh. I can actually source of Etsy or Google as our friend. But my point, so I, all I was saying is I can do anything I have to do and I'm not the best, but by observing what she's doing and even when I don't want to do it, following and like watching and, you know, playing along, I'm also able to pick up stuff in areas where I'm not necessarily strong. So to me, good ideas come from everywhere. I mean, I want to do it, but if she says do it, I'm like, okay, sure. I'll say, I'll not be happy about it, but I know where we're trying to go. And it, I've actually learned from doing that. So I use that as an example even for my team that, hey, we all need to do things we need to do to uplift the business and uplift ourselves. I just love seeing the, the dynamic. I've, I've become more fascinated by the family dynamics of doing this business or any business together. And it's only recently that I've learned in the past few years that that's actually the biblical model is to do these kind of things together. Because there's some rules of thumb out there. People will say things like, oh, never sell a car to a family member, never go into business with a family member. You know, some of those like never do this with family, always... You know, don't hire them if you can't fire them. And there's some of that, but the biblical model is to be close to family, to do things together, to work through these issues together, because the strongest relationships we'll ever have are the people that we do life with every day. So I love to see the the family dynamic playing out where people are doing business together inside their own family structure. So thank you for sharing a little bit of that. I think people will enjoy that aspect of it, of of this interview. Yeah, Lisa, you have something else to add to that? Yeah, sure. So I wanted to say, I just moved closer to John two months ago. So we haven't always worked in the same space. We've worked remotely a lot of times. And so being in the same place now helps us to collaborate more and do more amazing things. And then the second thing also is that obviously, as with everything and with relationships, you need to set boundaries, right? And so that's one of the things that when people don't do, they have problems with family members. And so like for John, we talk, I don't think I speak to anyone else more than I speak to him. He calls me like 10 times or more every day, whether we work in the same place or or not. My husband even knows that. And John gets really excited and passionate about work over the weekends, which is when he should be relaxing. And so he would text me and say, hey, I found potential markets. Hey, I found this product. What happened to this? And I have to say, hey, it's the weekend. I am not answering any of those questions. And so I think setting those boundaries helps. Sometimes it makes me look type A, but I'm like, I'll do it anyway. And I mean, sometimes I would also text him about like, oh, I saw this, but I think he goes like full speed over the weekend. I don't know why and how, but I've had to tell him, no, it's the weekend. We are not doing this right now. That's just awesome. to add a, just a small thing to what she just said. All that is true. But the funny thing is she's becoming a bit more like me because yes, I own what I do. But there's cases where she's not sending me stuff. I'm still the one sending the majority. And or at times, like 11 p.m., she sends me stuff. I'm like, you're supposed to be sleeping. So I, I think she's now starting to dream and think like I do in business. And it's a funny, you know, thing because that is definitely my thing. But I think she's also starting to do that now. And then one other thing I wanted to add to what you said earlier. I think fundamentally, you know, we believe in service and helping others and connecting. And I think business is a fantastic tool to do that. And I think the reason why we're able to work as a um, family dynamic is like you said, it boils down to relationships. If you and I didn't have a good relationship, we could not work together. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, um, if, and if you're a family, the hope and prayer is to have a good relationship, and which we do. So I think that definitely helps. And again, our instrument to, you know, serve others is through e-commerce, you know. And I think uh, one of your previous podcasts, I've listened to hundreds of your stuff. You said, you know, we're not in business to be a child. We are here to make money so we can help others. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful tool to serve others, to make money, 
and then Seva, that's with the money that we make. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, great. You're making great points. And uh, I'm, I'm truly enjoying the dynamic. I don't know that we've had many. I've had mom, son. I've had father, son. I, I've had brothers. I don't think we've had a brother, sister combination on this show yet. So you guys are a first with over 400 shows. So really enjoying this. And and uh, well, let's, let's start to move into more of your, your Amazon journey with some specifics. You know, what are you guys selling now? Some of your numbers? Let's get into some strategy and get into that part of the story a little bit. Okay. So um, primarily, I'll say we do about, let's call it 95% um, grocery focus. Again, with my background, why I started and maybe 5% we do beauty, but primarily 95%. And to the extent you want to go niche on niche, we tend to focus on how to find food products and also international food products. Because um, I think initially my original um, vision was to create almost like a digital ethnic food store. So that's kind of where um, the original impetus came from. And that's kind of what guides us too. So we try to, if we focus, if we get a product which is you know, niche and then it gets mass market, too many competitive stuff, we tend to move on from that because again, I, we, I think the perfect match is we want to create and um, provide democratized access to things that people normally can't find. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the role we, we, we look to set with the business. Uh, numbers wise, I mean, we've evolved over time. I would say initially when I was by myself, I was probably doing maybe 20, 25 a month. And then that moved to about 50,000 a month. It would take, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. But then we've experienced tremendous growth over the past two years, where on average, I think we're in about 100,000 you know, per month. So I, I think over the past two years, for sure, we're doing a seven-figure business with a goal to scale it very much so with the help of coaching and uh, the Hummingbird team. So Fantastic. So you're using your coaching students in our program, and you mentioned yep. Hummingbird. Let's flip the microphone to Lisa for a minute. You know, Fill us in on what John left out, you know, just any, anything you'd like to add on the, his, his overview, he's the numbers guy, right? So, you know, fill in some gaps. He just hit us with some numbers, some very nice numbers. You guys are at several hundred thousand dollar plus months. Um, you've become coaching students. What else would you add into the story? Um, I think going specifically into like the type of products we look at, obviously we find listings that are already working and then we try and find gaps within those markets and so as john said one of our biggest like mission or goals is to provide hard to find food so for example so we have a bunch of things right we want to provide hard to find foods and we also want people to recreate their memory for places that they visited so for instance let's take italy right italy is such a big food city and almost everyone that goes comes back and says, oh, I tried the pasta, it's different, or I had the pizza, it's different. So let's say you went to Italy, you had their delicious pizza, you come back and you want to recreate it yourself. You might need, you know, the special OO flour, I think that's what it's called, to recreate it and stuff. We want to be able to like walk through that process with you, whether that means, you know, creating a special bundle for that. or So that might start with us maybe joining a listing like that. And then as we do, we look at the you know reviews to see what are people's pain points or what are people using it for and see hmm, how can we provide more value or take it to the next level. So I think that's something that I enjoy very much because I don't just sell food. I actually cook myself and love to try different types of food. So it's not about, oh, this person wanted you know pizza flour, so we gave it to them. But for me, I'm about how can we help people create you know cherished memories with food and make it simple and easy for them to them to say, oh my gosh, this tastes just like, you know, my grandma used to make, or this tastes just like what I had in Italy. And then it makes them feel good and stuff. Like I'm all about that. And every time, you know, I read a review from a customer that says, man, this took me back. Or I always buy this product for Christmas, like, and share, buy so many for my family members. Like that lights me up every single time. And I'm always thinking, what can we do? to you know recreate that nostalgic feeling or to let people relive good experiences they've had regarding different cultural cuisines. I love the way you just said what you said, Lisa. I'm more like John than I'm like you, Lisa, personality-wise in that I'm kind of like numbers and products. And you have a relational perspective on the business you're in. And it reminds me of a story I've told many times and I think I'll start using what you just said as an example, when I tell this story of having met some of the higher end execs at Amazon and trying to urge them towards 
allowing sellers to build relationships with buyers because so much is lost. Like your only way to contact or communicate right now with someone who's bought stuff from you is if they happen to leave a review and you can enjoy that, but you don't know who they are and you can't contact them. You can't build a relationship, find out what else they want and need, for example. And I've, we've really pushed. And if anyone at Amazon's listening, keep finding ways, please, so that we can start to connect buyers and sellers and they can build these communities. Because I'm, I'm imagining you, Lisa, with a large community of people who have memories from childhood and like, hey, can anyone help me recreate the pizza that I ate when I was in Paris? Or, you know, my grandma used to make this pie and I can't figure out what flour she used. And, you know, it, so that community that you would just so enjoy serving and it's very profitable as well to do so. So, you know, there, there's things coming I've heard that Amazon is doing that will allow those kinds of things to start happening more, especially for people who are brand registered, which it sounds like we're helping you guys do that. Amazon's going to start allowing more of that kind of thing. So we're excited to see that coming down the pike. But uh, to be able to build those relationships with your buyers, that's the main point. And, and that's the true asset. Do you guys have any plans or do you have a vision to some point sell off of Amazon as well? Or do you already? I know John said earlier, that's kind of where you started wanting to start a store off Amazon. But, but it's just so hard to ignore Amazon because half the transactions online are there, right? So yeah. talk me through that. Either one of you, it, it, do you have visions to get there some point with uh, something off Amazon? So I'm going to bring it right back to you. Like I said, I've been listening to your podcast hundreds of other years. And in one of the episodes in the past, I think I had one of your guest coaches say something along the lines of, if you're not a hundred grand, it's not worth your time to start thinking of, you know, going off Amazon. So that was really a guiding light in the back of my mind. And so over the past year or two that, you know, we are there now, we've started to seriously consider it. We've started some stuff, but I think for me, I'm always about where the demand, I would get it right now. So, and to me, it's on Amazon right now. So as we evolve, the short answer to your question is yes, there will be plans to go off Amazon. Um, but I think to do that, we need to build the capacity to demand generate of Amazon because that's not a skill set that we currently have in-house. But we've not exhausted the demand that exists on Amazon yet. So I think regardless of what we do, that will still be the cash cow and demand there. But then potentially start to build assets off of there, be it lists. I know through some of the courses on Amazon and through the coaches, you can start to build lists through you know mini chat, Facebook integration, pass on to Amazon, all kinds of strategies. So we short answer to that is we have something now, but it's not perfect. And once we scale and grow what we have going on Amazon, the goal is to really ramp up the off Amazon presence to complement it, um, what we're doing. I love it. And that's that's going to be an exciting transition for you too. And I don't think it's going to be as complex as, as you might maybe uh, imagine it would be. I think you're very well positioned to start thinking in that direction. Because something else you may have heard on past podcast episodes is the greatest asset you can ever own. And that's a that's a community of people who are excited to hear from you, see what you're doing next. You just can't do that with Amazon right now as it stands. I think those days are coming. I think Amazon's slowly coming around to the idea of the benefits of allowing buyers and sellers to connect. But um, yeah, I'm anxious to see you guys, especially with the passion that Lisa has. I can just see you having a, a YouTube channel and talking about recipes and talking about places of the world and recreating those experiences. Uh, there's no reason you couldn't start doing that now in your in your spare time, right? Over the weekends when John's working and you're not, hey, start making some videos, right? <laughs> it's funny you say that, Jim, because what J um, John didn't mention is I've been, like I started to work on a Shopify site like a mm. year ago. I literally created the account and never did anything with it. And this year, I joined a group called the Business Boutique Academy, which motivates, you know, female business owners to, you know, go forth with their idea and not let anyone, you know, hold them back. Business Boutique is under um, the Dave Ramsey Network, and I just got so much value from there. So I finally, like, put some products on there. But I think, as John said, when you have your own website, the demand generation is a big problem. And so I think I struggle with that a bit because I was like, oh, man, I put it up. I created the social media page. I tried to post. No one is coming. Like, what's going on? And then you have to learn Facebook ads and Instagram ads and hashtag right. stuff. And it gets very overwhelming quickly. Yes. And so, like, as you said before, all about the relationships and, like, trying to get to know my customers. So I think that's why that appealed to me. But right now, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to get the skills to learn, you know, what it takes to build a business outside Amazon. Obviously, yeah. in addition to what we are doing, so... I'm knee deep in different types of training, but I think if we do build an Amazon off Amazon presence, it's not going to be the same things we are selling on Amazon. It's going to be different because the truth is 
I realized if someone can go on Amazon and buy something and it will get to them in two days, what's the point in coming to buy on your own website? Because you do the math and it's happened to me as a consumer. You go to the website, oh, this is $20. Okay, cool. It's a bit more expensive, but I'll get it. And then you go and they tell you shipping. It's like $10. And even with the $10, the business hasn't really even told you like the full cost of shipping, right? They've probably taken up some of that cost. And so you add it up and you're like $30. And then they're asking you for your shipping and you have to enter again because it's not prime. And you're like, you know what, forget it, right? But if you're if the website has something very different, more unique, more curated, that is different from what you have on Amazon, I think that's more convenient for the customer and they might be willing to go the extra step, right? To be able to buy yeah. from you. So it's a whole different like school, if I would say, but it I'm is. very much interested in getting to know more about my customers and building out excellent buyer personas, which Amazon is not really giving me. And so that like pains me a lot, but we work with what we have and just try and learn about what that looks like as well, because other people have done it and build that audience from scratch and are doing it successfully. So I think if someone has done it, we can do it too. It just takes time. Exactly. And you guys are doing phenomenal, by the way. I'm, but I see it as my job almost to always be pushing people to look a little further than they are with whatever their plans are, whatever's working now, just kind of that third party, you know, pushing forward. What, you know, where are we going to be in a couple of years? What, how do we expand on this thing, continue growing? And one thing that forces us to do is to build good systems so that we can be freed up and start to pursue these other opportunities. We're a multiple income stream community. You hear that phrase all the time, right? That means we're creating systems and stepping away from the system to launch new things. Well, thanks for sharing the numbers and some of the products. I want to hear some stories of lessons or examples. That, you know, what, what are some hurdles you guys have climbed that would help educate the listener today as to you know, what does it look like to go from $25,000 a month, one person by yourself, John, to 100,000 plus a month, bringing on your sister. How big is your team is another topic. So I've thrown plenty of things out there. Take the ball and run with it, guys. What, you know, what comes to mind? Uh, thanks for the question. I mean, I think for me uh, as entrepreneurs, or initially, I like to talk about version one and version 2.0. I think initially when we all start, you try to do any and everything yourself, but I think you do yourself a disservice in that, in that uh, way. The way I think about it is you want to get to your point quickly where you are able to get good people who who come in there so in my in my case i make sure everybody in the team gets paid and lisa before i get paid i mean i started taking a growing a salary from the business i think she maybe last year but before then our other stuff that takes care of me but my point is take care of the people who take care of you and that's kind of how you know you grow because like as i said before i literally mark the trajectory of the business by the size of the team mainly being Lisa, you know, when she came on board, that was a good one. And then before that, it was just me. And then I got a VA. Now I think we, I believe we have four team members in the Philippines who assist us doing that. And we've created like little, I don't call it like little divisions. So Lisa's in charge of the operations team that takes care of everything, logistics, supply chain related. I, on the other hand, take care of everything to do with ads, strategy, et cetera. So one of my guys mostly focuses on ads. Another one focuses on repricing and supply chain issues. And then I'm working more with the strategy, data, trying new things. And uh, trying to be ag aggressive in a good way, we experiment quite a bit. If I hear something external that I know will be relevant to the business, we go in there. Like I was talking to Lisa, getting ready for this call, and I was like, and I mean, obviously I'm in PAC, and I was telling her, I don't know where PAC starts and ends and where we start. And I say that because a lot of your templates and stuff, I've taken some of them and I've modified them and made it our own and stuff. So your Templates are all over my business. I can't tell you where it starts and ends. And that's been going on for years on end. And we always continue to try and find um, new things we can do to, uh, you know, make us better. So I think a short answer to your question would be, the main thing I think is quickly get into a, don't do yourself a disservice. If whatever you're doing is not going to be able to take care of the business and make a profit, you probably shouldn't consider it. And then obviously you have to make sacrifices to bring in good people, which will in essence increase the revenue of the business and the value of the business. I think that's probably what, I would say. And again, also, um, I, I don't believe in reinventing the wheels. So as much as possible, being part of a, having access to tools and resources. Because again, back to what I said, your, um, the cumulative business report is only one of many things that I use, but that is key and essential to doing stuff. I don't have to reinvent it. You guys have it there. Start over. And the other thing I should say is before you even think of optimizing or improving, just go with what is there, get a good number and stuff, and then see where potentially you can add more value. And then you can think about optimizing whatever template system or resource you have access to. So that's kind of what I would say. Great. Great answer, John. Yeah. What would you add, Lisa? 
Um, two things. First, I would say don't despise small beginnings. I believe that. And I think sometimes we forget that it's easy to look at, you know, the next big shot and be like, oh man, they are making all of that. They are here and on vacation. You know, they have the whole flex time thing. They only work 15 hours a week. <laughs> it sounds cool to see and read all those things. But the truth is, at some point, they're probably working 80 hours a week, <laughs> right? One thing John missed in his intro story about the company is when we started in 2015, I was still in grad school, but we used to pack stuff at home. There's this tiny bottles of um, hot sauce, we call it shito, which is like hot sauce. We literally used to like pack it up and box it up and have Amazon send it, you know, and then have, I mean, carry the 50 pound box downstairs and have UPS come pick it up and then Amazon preps and labels it. And I have vivid recollections of putting white paper on the, um, what's it called? Those small free, um, deep freezers, putting it on there and creating my own mini studio to take pictures. That is how we started, right? My mom helped, my dad helped at some point, right? We did that. And then we graduated to using a prep center at some point, right? But then sometimes you need to start that way before you can graduate to a prep center. But if you're saying, oh no, I can't really pack anything. I can't lift. If you keep making excuses, you're not going to be able to achieve your goals. So don't despise small beginnings. That's the first thing. And the second thing I'll say is, along the lines of what I just said, sometimes you need to do stuff that you don't like to do in order to grow and in order to get to the point where you don't have to do it. What does that mean practically? For me, I'm all about the relationships, but I dislike the cold calls. I had to make a bunch of those cold calls when I started. And sometimes it just meant, okay, setting a goal for myself. Okay, this week I'm going to call 10 people and stuff like that. Send the emails. You would call, you get a no, you keep going and stuff like that. But I think for me, doing that kind of stretched me and let me know, okay, some people will say no, some people will say yes, but I've done it and I'm learning from it, right? But I got to that point where I don't make as many cold calls as I used to, but the truth is I did them. And so that gave me the confidence and the courage I needed to get to the next level. Now I'm all about building deeper relationships with the suppliers we have in our current inventory. And then as we grow, I might need to start picking up the cold calls again but it's going to be at a whole different level. Had I not grown and become comfortable with making those cold calls, I probably wouldn't be able to do it moving forward, right? So you need to do some things that you dislike, but it's all worth it. People have done it and you can do it too. Yeah, I appreciate you adding that theme of, you know, this is real work. And I hope no one ever listens to this podcast or comes to one of our events or buys a course thinking, okay, this is an automated system. I push a few buttons and money falls into the bank. That's not how business works. There's no opportunity out there like that where you just sit back. You know, that's called investing. And sometimes they go well and sometimes they don't. This is running a business, very different from investing. And you're in there doing the work. And did I hear you correctly? You said you used a, a freezer that you would open as your photo. Booth? No, so I put it on. So you know how those um desktop uh, what's it called? Those mini, I think it's five cubic feet deep freezers. Like the mini the fridge? Right. No, the freezers, deep freezer. freezer. Yeah. Okay. So I would use the top because it's white Yeah. and put more white pictures, paste it with scotch tape on the wall so I can get a nice photo studio. Get that nice tape. white background with right. the light. Yeah. And get your, because Amazon wants that white background. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you do what you got to do to, to mm-hmm. get through. You learn as you go. You, you climb these little hills. There's always another hill to climb, right? So yeah, I love that perspective sharing. Yeah. You know, this is work. Yeah. Carrying those big 50-pound boxes down the stairs got old, right. I'm sure. But yep. that's, and, that's how you guys started this million-dollar business. Yeah. Was... And just to add a couple of things to what you just said, though. Um, I think she's already said a lot. About, I'm going to say, even when you don't want to do a couple of things, it deepens the appreciation once you're not doing it. And also, if there's a problem, it's not a theoretical thing. You know exactly what it is because you've, you know, you've done it before. Because like today, for example, we are evaluating some services you want to use. And Lisa literally was just on a call with uh, one of the services for like 30 minutes. And she was asking detailed, detailed questions because there are pain points you're having right now that she's trying to make sure that this service provider can do. And she it was a point, like, I know I'm asking deep questions, but the girl was like, no, please go ahead. But my point is, that was a good one because we know what we need. And then if it's able to do it, we spend six figures more than in services for the business. If you do a good job, you're going to get a portion of it. So again, by Doing the work yourself and knowing what the pain points are makes it easy for you to get a perfect match when you outsource. And then the other thing is also, I had it once and I always stick with it. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in passive income. 
or someone said, your passive income is someone's active income. So it's always thinking about it on that continuum. How passive do you want to be or how, how active? Like I said, we spend six figures multiple on services for the business, but then it allows us to, in a way, make some of this business passive and also work on the things we like. So you have to be comfortable with it. Somebody, if somebody, you told somebody you spend a hundred thousand plus on outside services when you could do it yourself, they'll look at you like you have four heads. But the point is, by doing that, we focus on the things we're good at. Somebody whose job is to do that part takes care of that and it allows you to, you know, do more value creating activities for the business. So I just want to put it out there. Your passive income is someone's active income. So, yeah. Hey, Business Building Warrior, quick update. One of our sponsors, Payoneer.com. They're tremendous. They've got up to $750,000 without a credit check to help you grow your Amazon or Walmart business. These guys are a proud sponsor of this program. Thank you for checking out their offer at payoneer.com slash funding. That's P-A-Y-O-N-E-E-R.com, payoneer.com slash funding. Thanks for the sponsorship. Go check these guys out. By doing that, we focus on the things we're good at. Somebody whose job is to do that part takes care of that, and it allows you to you know, do more value-creating activities for the business. So I just want to put it out there. Your passive income is someone's active income. So, yeah. That's a great point because we do teach, you know, it goes right along with kind of our philosophy of bringing in help, hiring virtual assistants, growing your team. You need to know how to do it yourself first. And then it's a math decision. And as your team grows, you're splitting the pie more ways now, but it gives you a chance to grow the pie. So finding that balance, this is why it takes time to do it right. Sometimes people come and into our community and they, they just want to write a sizable check and push a button and it just goes. That's called buying a business. you know. And that's certainly an option you some people may have. But if you're going to launch this thing and grow it, you're going to be doing the work initially. And uh, the first people we typically encourage folks to hire would be someone who can go source product. you know, Before you start the convenience hires of, I don't like carrying boxes. I'm going to hire someone to do that. But you got to make sure you have the, the funds in place to cover the new hire. So we typically say, teach them to find profitable products. That's why I'm excited. Chance to plug. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet or not, but provenreplinsva.com, provenreplinsva, virtualassistant.com. We'll stick it in the show notes, but we're actually hiring VAs ourselves. We're paying them to go through our training and then sellers can use them fully trained, or you can go find your own and train them, of course, or you, but you can use one of ours that's fully trained and ready to go. So they're out there finding new products you can sell. It, there's just so much demand for it. We've got a long waiting list right now. We're training right. them as fast as we can. So you know that's that's the low hanging fruit opportunity for us, and uh, you know possibly for other sellers, you guys as uh-huh. well. Who knows? But I just thought I'd throw that out there. This business can become very automated. You mentioned your team. You said I think you've got four people or so. Is that something you look to grow or are you pretty stable here? Like what's the plan there? And how many hours a week are you guys working now? I would say, well, if you include my Saturday and other things that I do, probably way more than I can think about. But officially I'd say I work about 25 to 30 hours, you know, in the business. And Lisa, what like what do you say, 40 hours or about 35 for Lisa too. So about 30, 35. And uh, the answer to your question. It's interesting because I think we're in a state of transition. I tell the team we are literally about to start 2.0 starting in January. And I say that they, because right now we have the team, they all work about 40 hours there. But I think, especially as we've joined coaching and stuff, the way I think about it is that we know what we are doing, but that we are not definitely optimized for the kilt. So for me, the way I think about it is that with the coaching, we are just doing an assessment of what do we have and how do we make that better. And then from there, we definitely, you know, adding some new things including, you know, growing the branding route, you know, doing the bundles and then potentially doing private labels. So that's kind of how I'm thinking we're going to grow. We, we, we're looking to grow and um, expand from where we are right now. That's the growth plans in the future. Are you yeah. guys doing any branded bundles yet? Is that something we're working on with, uh, you mentioned Humminbird earlier. Is that something our team's helping you grow into? Yeah. So the I guess we're going back now, but in essence, what we do when we do analysis is that we've kind of been doing bundles for about a year, year and a half plus. And in terms of the overall pie, I'll say about 30, 40% of our business is bundles and 60% is just traditional wholesale. But with that being said, what we realize is that obviously when you call the bundle part of the business, the margins are fantastic. You don't have price tanking, competitive, all that crazy stuff. And so we want to really push that side of the business and break it down. 
And what we are doing with the team is we did some of the stuff, okay. We didn't do everything perfect. Some okay, some not okay. So what we're trying to do is kind of clean some up and then really polish that uh, part of the bundle business uh, properly, get some trademark stuff um, and um, on that level. And then once we are done with that, um, I know Nathan talked about it on the uh, episode 406, but the whole house of brand concept. So yes. um, just what we're doing, doing it better in regard to the um, grocery that we are in. But then with the house of brands concept, start to look at other opportunities in different categories that we are thinking about. So that's kind of sort of what we're doing. So the short answer is clean up what we're doing right now, make it better, and then go explore new uh, opportunities for us, either both in um, groceries or other categories as we come across opportunities. Got it. Yeah, just painting as clear a picture as we can for the listeners of kind of what you guys are doing, where you're heading, what our team is doing for you there. Great. Well done. What I realized one thing we didn't point out was margins. We typically like to be very transparent on yeah. you know, margins. What are you guys ultimately putting in the bank and how much are you paying yourselves? You don't have to tell us how much, but just as a percentage of what's going on here, how's, how do you guys manage all of that? And, and what are your numbers? A little more depth there. Okay. So I mean, I think overall gross margin, I'll even go a step further. I'll say gross margins, the business is about, let's call it, uh, it depends, let's call it 12 to 15% of which I would say the net probably ends up being more around maybe 8 to 10%. But with that being said, I think once you go in a step deeper, which is why we are really excited about the bundle um, side of the business, those margins tend to depend on what we've done and how we've created it. The margins on that anywhere from 18, I'll say more likely 18 to 25, but then somewhere we make the 5% margin on that. So that's why to me, that's a good opportunity in the business, specifically focusing on bundles as opposed to just general straight up wholesale products. Did, it, did I answer your question for you? Yeah, absolutely does. Okay. Yeah, I'm just writing down a few notes too because I want to I want to get it right when I describe the episode later. So yeah, very helpful. Okay. Yeah, Lisa, anything coming to mind as we talk through this, or any any strategies, or just for the people who are listening to the show, just as we, you know, this is me kind of transitioning towards the end of the show. I just want to make sure if there's anything that you guys have in mind that you wanted to be sure to share with the audience um, that you yeah, have a chance sure. to, to mm-hmm. do that beyond think, what we've already shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two things. So. Oh, I have a lot. Okay, let me start. <laughs> I have like four things to say. Should I say it? <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, the first thing I'll say is keep learning and improving. Sometimes you might be doing something and it might not work again because things change all the time. So be willing to keep um, keep iterating your processes just to get it right and evolve with the time. So for instance, for us, We've had so many different iterations of our reorder process just because things are different, supply chain issues and just different things. And so just be willing and make sure that you are keeping eyes on your numbers because that's what will help you to know whether you are doing a good job or not. And then the second thing under keep learning and improving is experiment with different things as well. Like for me, I'm type A and so I'm big on productivity and focus. And so I'm always trying to see how can I do more with less? How can I be more efficient at work? And how can I work during my peak hours? So right now, for instance, I'm trying a technique, which I read from Christy Wright's book called Take Back Your Time. And one thing she talks about is when you create your to-do list, break it up into two, must do and do if I have more time. And I've been doing that for the past two weeks and it's been helpful. So I just write a list of all the things I have to do and I pick from them into absolutely must do today and try not to have more than three. And then the rest I put in do if I have more time. And like 80% of the time, I find out that I'm able to like check off everything on the must do because the truth is if you treat everything as urgent, nothing is going to get done. Oh, that's good. Can I pause you there before you yes. hit point three and yes. four? Yes. Because something that popped into to my mind is one of my favorite authors, you hear me reference him all the time, good friend of mine, Daniel Lappin is fond of saying that the best advice, if, if you just had 10 seconds to give someone the best possible life advice, it would be do what must be done when it must be done. So few people grasp that simple lesson. And that's basically what you just identified with your to-do list. It's so easy to fill a list of 15 or 20 things and then just kind of work it from top to bottom. And you've left the important stuff to the end of the day and you're too tired and it gets bounced to another day. And it ends up with a bunch of stuff you don't want to do at the bottom of the list, Right. So you're prioritizing and saying, hey, here's the two or three things I absolutely must get done today. You know, and then you put everything else on the do it, do it if I have time list. I love that idea. That's a great tip. 
Thank you, Jim. Um, so I would also say I'm still under the keep learning and improving. Like keep early on in the business when I joined, I think two years ago in 2019, I started to structure my day in different ways. So like, for instance, for Monday, I have different things I do, Tuesday, etc. So Thursday was supposed to be my process improvement day, right? So it's a day that I'll look through processes and seeing how we can improve. I haven't been able to do that because we've just been busy and it's Q4. But recently I asked myself, hmm, there are so many things I do that I can automate, right? So right now, um, a project I'm working on is looking into Zapier a bit more and trying to see what things I can automate. So I'm going to start with myself and then I'm going to have my team also look at things that they do right now that they can automate because it will free up so much of your time to engage in more things that will bring more money. So that's it for the keep learning and improving. The second thing I'd like to share with listeners is build systems that make your work easier. We are blessed to have, you know, a couple of people on our team who love to create a sheet for every single thing. John creates sheets like all the time. I think his latest was experiment tracker. So he told the team, if you have any idea of experiments you want to run, put it here, let's try it out and let's see the outcome. For me, I handle, you know, payments with vendors and stuff. So I built myself a simple, you know, Google sheet to track vendor payments because we don't like to be late on our payments. And so on there, I have, you know, if we have terms with a supplier, I have what that terms is. And I use a bunch of formulas to get me to know like, okay, it's time to pay. So I schedule in my calendar, you know, twice a month, you know, I'm going to pay everyone and I do it and it's been working fine. So see the things you work on and see how, you know, you can improve. And then the third thing I'll say is keep proper records. If you are not organized, it's going to cost you money and you wouldn't even realize it. What do I mean on a practical basis with this point? We have a sheet called lost money and inefficiencies. And so we try and keep track of lost money, lost money due to damaged items, or shipment issues that happen and stuff like that. And so at the end of the year, we're able to know, okay, this is how much we've lost. Is there anything we can do about it? If so, what? let's do it. If not, it's part of doing business, right? Like you ship a bunch of glass items, some will be damaged, or maybe it's worth a conversation with the vendor to pack it well. Yeah, and then my last and final point will be no Amazon's guidelines at your fingertips. Um, as there can be misleading information about things online. So your best source is always Amazon's guidelines. If you read anything, do so through the lens of Amazon's guidelines. So sometimes people, different bloggers and stuff might interpret it in their own way, which is helpful, but always have, you know, the Amazon's guidelines by your side and compare with it, which is why with the pack course, I enjoyed watching the bundling course because every time Lisa and Jenny would say, literally pull the page and said, this is Amazon's guidelines. When you people ask, what do I need to do with bundling? Amazon says this, this is what it means. Let's go. Amazon says that this is what it means. And you find out that lots of people are not following the guidelines correctly. So if, you know, your um, benchmark is another seller that is doing great business, and so they are your guidelines, <laughs> you might probably be doing something wrong sometimes, right? But if you, are, you go back to Amazon and say, okay, what are they saying? How can I improve and follow that correctly? And if it's understanding it that you have a problem with, then try and, you know, see what other people have said about it. But always, always, always go back to Amazon because even though sometimes it might be challenging to understand what they're asking for, they're always telling you exactly what they need, right? (laughs) So always go back to Amazon's guidelines. That'll be all. Thank you. Great tips. Uh, I have a couple of of things to add if that's okay. Please do. So mine is going to start from general to specific. Um, I think um, the general stuff that I'd like to share is for the past two years, and it's probably going to be coming back for third years, things to focus on, which is in our businesses, simplicity, scale, and what do you call it? Speed. If these three things are being thought about and being done continuously, you can you have no choice but to do well. And then I was talking to a friend who works at Amazon, I think in ads, and she told me a term that Amazon uses internally, which is operational excellent at scale. And I told my team that is no longer an option. We have to be operationally excellent at scale because if you're scaling and everything is not operationally excellent, there are many leaks coming out. So that's um, what everybody's business is different, but we all in operations in some way, shape or form. So try and think about operational excellence at scale and what that means like to you. Then the other thing I also tell my team is this thing is not original to me, but uh, from one of the stuff I've into the past, it's called RFM, recency, frequency, and monitoring implication. So I always tell them, you don't need to talk to me ever if you don't need to. But ask yourself, 
of all the things I need to do today, what's going to make me the most money or cost me the most money? Because by focusing on those things, you are almost like Pareto principle, 80, 20, focusing on the most important things. So I need to tell you what to do, but if you have five things you need to do, what's going to make you the most money or save you the most money? Um, so that's kind of what I would say on the general um, level. And then- um, John, before we move forward, I want, I want to have you repeat a phrase you used. Uh-huh. went through it very quickly. I can tell it's something that's burned in your brain, but it was new to oh. me, maybe new to the <laughs> listeners too. That concept uh, of focusing on the things that will either cost you a lot of money or make you yeah. the most money. What did you call that? So it's, it's called RFM, recency, frequency, and monetary implications. So it's like recently, what do you do a lot of that has monetary implications? So monetary implication could be make more money sure. or lose more money. So right, okay. for example, in our business right now, Lisa and I were actually talking this week. You can only, that's not going to say, focus on only things you can't, and the things you can out of your control, that's fine. But in our business, for example, Lisa and I were thinking, the two main chunks of um, stuff we need to focus on are stuff to do with our prepping and our ad, because we realized that we've literally paid out almost $30,000 in reimbursement, and we've spent, we have a fantastic A cost of less than 10% on our general ads that we do, and we run a lot of ads. But I'm actually working right now to simplify it um, actually with the help of some of your coaches to um, minimize that because our whole point is if you're able to minimize the ad spend even though it's fantastic by 50%, we can pick up you know 15K there. We do the same thing with reimbursement, 15K, that's 30K down to the bottom line. So that's literally what I'm saying. We live it and we are practicing it in the business right now. And then I'll say, learn and uh, question, but make sure you know the basics. And what I mean by that is that if you look at general guidelines or you know best, best principles, they say you should go for a certain amount of, um, what do you call it, minimum set volume and stuff. But at least in our business, because we sell such unique stuff, it's interesting. I was looking at numbers over the past years and collectively the stuff that supposedly doesn't get as much set volume, the revenue adds up to quite a bit. So again, my point is you start learn what you're supposed to learn, but then occasionally not question or try out different things because you may find a, you know, a golden nugget somewhere that you were not aware of. So that's the other thing I'll say there. And then know what you like to do uh, or you're good at and quickly get to a point where you can bring in people who excel at what you're not good at. And then take care of your people first before you take care of yourself. And then the other thing is building out of systems. Um, At least I already touched on that. My addition to that is before you build out the systems, I joke in my company that we spent almost over close to $600,000 collectively on services, et cetera. And I joke that Literally, that's the fifth employee who works 24-7. So to the extent that we are optimized, and we are not, just to be clear, but to the extent that we are optimizing and do well, we have a full, a, literally a six, <laughs> full-time employee who can do that. So, and yes, he's right. We build a lot of systems and stuff, but before you do go build, do an assessment, what you have, maximize it. And if you still have a, a deficiency, then you go out and um, build the system. So yeah, know what you have, make sure you totally understand it and maximize it before building out the system. Because in essence, Think of your software collectively as an employee or two who works for you 24-7. And then that's what I'm going to say is invest and experiment. You may think, you know, whether or not you think you know it all, somebody knows something you don't. And for me, we are not, we are not even at full force with the you know, coaching. We literally just started, what, about a month ago? But the universal thing that I've started to realize is that we'll be talking to, you know, either a reactive or proactive coach, and then we ask a question. And then you say something, I'm like, oh, heck. I never thought about it that way. So if there's one thread that runs through everybody from Nathan to everybody, the golden nugget that, you know, they say, I'm like, oh, dang, that's a good one. That is really where I'm like, okay, this, this, this is going to be good. And we run into problems. We were talking to Brian, our coach, and we're like, we're having this issue, reconciliation. He's like, oh, I use the service. He told us, I was like, you got to be kidding me. So literally is the golden nuggets and resources drop. And it's, yeah, that's the common theme. So I just wanted to so invest and experiment. Like I said, you know, if you don't challenge, challenge is a strong way, but if you don't test out new things, you're never going to know where there's room for improvement. And then I'm almost done. I just have about two or three more. The other one is letting the data and numbers do the talking for you. And like I just said, for example, in our case, the aggregate revenue from our low velocity product is significant. But if we're going with standard best practice, <laughs> we will not have that because we will not even be considering that. And let the, to let the, your data and numbers do the talking in the business. And also finding like-minded, um, oh, know your numbers and ethics what you stand for and apply it in your business. What do I mean? A couple of our products that we do, we definitely, we do not price guards, just to be clear. But there's some people who sell stuff at a significant price and Lisa has set a ceiling on some prices we can do for some of our stuff because we still make a good margin and we're not trying to, you know, 
take as much as we can from the customer. We're trying to make sure it's a good deal for everyone. So know your ethics and stand by it, even in the face of it where your price and your next competitor is like five or ten dollar difference. Take with what you have if you know you uh, and, and you're cheaper at the FBM in some cases too. Um stick by your ethics in there. And then the last two I was gonna say is find like-minded people to interact with. One of your newest coaches, Ami, is a good friend of mine. She and I uh, met at a Slack, a different Slack conference a long time ago. She she was a rock star because I met I met her when she was like 19 or 20. And so she, me, and a third person at that conference, we actually get together every two weeks. We form our own mastermind and we talk. And there's all kinds that we come in like, hey, what are you having issues with in your business? You know, and how can I help? And we've been doing it for the past years. Every Tuesday for two weeks, it happens. And I mean, make sure it runs. And the benefit of that has been huge. A quick example on that one. We were, we've been having stock out issues, you know, of our best sellers. And I was just racking my brains consistently. And I brought it up to the mastermind two weeks ago. And the guy was like, since the stock out seller last year, his name is Kevin. He's like, I just started using a 14-week forecast looking at four months worth of averages to get a rough of my stuff. And then based off of that, I'm ordering for two or three, what do you call it, months to make sure I don't have stock out. That was a difference maker. So now we've gone from our best sellers, literally run out of stock and me like not happy. So now we are now making sure that, and it's not for the whole thing. His whole idea was take your top 25% you know, percent of your product and let them do the guiding. And just because it's four months, doesn't mean you're going to order it tomorrow, but at least you know that it's coming on the horizon. So it gets the engine going. So that was huge in addition to other stuff. I know we almost run out of time. So yeah, that's the last one I'm going to say is importance of relationships, education, resources, templates, masterminds, and investing. And again, with that, like I said, we are not a new business that started, but I am definitely benefiting from coaching just with the whole concept of we are just cleaning up what we're doing and making it better before we even ramp it up there. So just like, what do you call it? Um, episode 406. We obviously, I see them as just ahead of us on the journey, but that's the goal structure we're trying to go. One to three to five million because I can see the path with the team's help. We're going to clean up what we've got to do, get fine on all cylinders, take us there. I'm done. Fantastic. I mean, there's so many things for people. I think folks are probably going to have to rewind and listen back through the lists that you guys just went through. Fantastic points, each one of which probably could have been a show by itself. But it's very clear to me, you guys are working hard, taking this seriously, being very methodical, very realistic. And it sounds like you're benefiting from coaching, even though, like you said, you're only about a month in, but you've got a great coach. And I didn't realize you guys were friends with Amy, another one of our great coaches. You guys have formed a mastermind, impromptu mastermind. And of all the things that you just shared, I think that's the one that I probably want to drive home a little bit with everyone is it's not so much about creating a list and saying, okay, well, John and Lisa just told me, here's all the things I got to go do. There's some great things and you'd benefit greatly from creating a list out of what we just learned. But I think the most valuable thing that, that John shared with us is put yourself in a group of others who are in a similar position, maybe some a little behind you, some a little ahead of you, and just go in. And I love the way you phrased it. It sounds like maybe you guys have borrowed that uh, John Maxwell phrase that I use so often myself, which is, what are you working on? How can I help? Right? What challenges are you facing? Do I have a resource like your coach Brian shared with you? It's like, oh, here's the tool you need to fix that problem. You could have researched for three weeks and put it off, put it off, put it off. But talking with someone who's been there, done that is so valuable. You can just cut through the relationships really do speed up your business, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back even to what you're saying. I joined PAC actually because of them. I actually joined PAC initially because I bought your um, trade show, no show. But then mm. when Ami and Kevin, we were all thinking about two years ago, I think we're thinking about PAC. like, oh, I joined PAC and it was good. And I was like, oh, okay. These guys did it. So, I mean, and I know of you guys already trust to join. So I literally joined because of them. Just another benefit of having a mastermind. Because again, you know these people, if they say something, you can still do your research, but it's probably good. And I think in creating your mastermind, you also want to have, it naturally works out that at least in our group, one of the guys is, we are in different categories, but then I'm almost like the ads guy because I run a ton of ads. One of the other guys also, he's, he has a physical store in addition to doing this, he has a different experience. I mean, has like all kinds of experience with eBay, all kinds of different stuff. So collectively, it's almost like we're able to tap into each other's, into the things that each other does. And um, that really, really helps us out. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, anything you want to add, Lisa, as we start to wrap this one up after you've heard John give us a great lesson? I think just each of your segments could have been again, a show by itself that we could have unpacked. But anything before we start to land this episode and, uh, and sign off? Yes, I would say that sometimes in business, it can be overwhelming. 
with all the things you have to do, but start small, set a small goal for yourself. Maybe within the next month, I want to get hit these numbers. Within the next two months, I want to hire someone. Within the next two months, I want to get one new account. Set small goals and track them. Because I think when you hit them, you amuse yourself and it gives you momentum to keep going. So set goals. Right now is a perfect time to start setting your 2022 goals for next year if you haven't already done so. Yeah, so set goals for yourself, set goals for your team. And if you have an issue, write down what the issue is, find possible solutions and find out who can help you. Because sometimes you, when you just think about it in your head, it might seem so daunting. But if you say, okay, let me write it down and dedicate 25 minutes. I do a lot of Pomodoro. I use this app called Pomo Focus. So I put my task in 25 minutes. I work on it. I take a five minute break. <laughs> Sometimes wow. if I'm really in the flow, I don't, but I love Pomo Focus. I've used, it's the Pomodoro technique. People can check it out, but that really helps. Take that yeah, time. Do you, do you mind spelling that for me based yes. on the way you're saying it? I don't know how to spell Sure. P-O- so like Pomodoro is like tomato, right? In Italian. So P-O-M-O and then Focus, F-O-C-U-S. Pomo Focus. Yes, Pomo Focus. Yeah, that's what I use. Um, I'm big <laughs> on that. Sometimes John calls me and I'm like, don't bother me. I'm in the middle of a Pomodoro. When it ends in 25 minutes, I'll talk to you. <laughs> but you, um, it helps you focus in and solve one challenge at a one time. One challenge at a time. Yeah. And I'm literally sitting next, um, next to her and she's like, no, it's not time. I'm still on the Pomodoro thing. These two more things I actually wanted to add. Just um, what she said. When you need, you need to figure out something. I think one thing people don't normally think about, but I also believe in very much so in less with more is who, not how. So instead of trying to figure out doing everything yourself, who in your network, and they may not be perfect, but who knows and uh, knows what you're trying to do and help you. Example being us bringing issues to our coach. You're like, oh, done. I was supposed to ask spending X amount of time doing it. And the last thing I'm going to do is whether you're going to get a coach or do yourself, do an audit. Um, for ourselves, we actually kind of did it right before we go into coaching. And as L, as Literally yesterday or two days ago, Lisa and I were sitting there, full credit, she did like 95% of the work, but we improved upon a SWOT analysis we did before, just so that, for example, if you have someone coming in to help you, you know, everybody can dial in quickly on these are the things that are going on. So I guess third version I'm saying is who, not how, do a personal audit, use a SWOT analysis template, just so that you know the things, how you are for now. And obviously it's not static, it changes with time, because what she did, we built it, I think, six months ago, and based on the current challenges we have it now, she had a stuff to the analysis. She looked at me like, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. So, for example, now when we actually have an escort as our coach, I'm probably just going to bring it up and be like, we talk about a bunch of stuff, but this is a good way to have it all in a cogent form that we can all go through to make sure that we are doing what we need to do. So, no more from me. I'm done. <laughs> Excellent. Well, great feedback. So, I, you guys are very disciplined in the approach that you take to improving your business. And I think maybe that's a you know 10,000 foot view takeaway that I have from this episode is I just feel encouraged to be more disciplined about the businesses I've got after hanging out with you guys. I mean, you guys did a SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunity, threat, right? I mean, when's the last time I did a SWOT? And I, you know, I, I helped another company do one about four years ago. I don't think I've done one on my own business in quite a while. You can Google that if you've never heard of it, SWOT analysis and get a good template and just kind of go through. But it requires some time spent, instead of just churning in your business, stepping back, thinking it through, saying, okay, I'm going to think through this problem. And one of the other themes that you guys pointed out, I love that you did because I would have had to have, if you didn't, is the way I've heard it phrased is the solution to virtually every challenge you're facing right now is a person, right? Uh, in, in some cases, it's God. Like, God, you got to help me out of this one. But it's always a person, right? It's someone else that knows that knows what you're going through, been there, done that. And I would point out our free Facebook community. It's about 70,000 people almost at this point. There's someone out there who's been through this. There's probably hundreds of people that have been through whatever you're experiencing now. Jump in there, use it. It's a free resource. If you want to get a coach, I think you guys have given us a great from the heart message for those who are considering coaching. Like, yeah, it's worth it. That because the people on our team, we didn't point out today, but everybody, every coach on our team, you mentioned Amy, you mentioned Brian, we've got about 30 coaches. They're all building incredible businesses of their own. That's the qualifier to become a coach. That's step one before you even go through the process. So these are people who've been there, done that. They've got a big business and, and it's a great next step. But well, you guys have been a delight to hang out with today. I really appreciate it. Have we met at any point in the past? 
Um, no, uh, we we actually used to live in Chicago. So I know you live in Indiana. So we're right next door to each other. But no. Oh, you guys are just up in Chicago. We used to be. Now we live in uh, Phoenix, but we used to be in Chicago. So oh, um, out in Phoenix. Yeah. Okay, you're yeah, out near yeah, the Potters. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to yeah. stop in and see uh, Rich and Shelley Potter sometime. They're out that way. See, they're. Oh out yeah, there. Um, I listened to this episode. Uh, um, the I think it was forward three with the whole, the wholesale replay. Yes. That was very interesting. Yep. The proven wholesale sourcing dot com yep. offer, right? And and uh, the it's super exciting developments there, and it may help you guys research some of your wholesale strategies. You guys should go through that. You know what? Shoot me an email. I'll get you into that course at no cost. So you guys can go I actually, through it. I actually already bought it. I'm waiting for it to start. I bought it. I owe you a credit. I had a podcast. I, I literally that night, I signed up for it. So yeah. yeah well, I'm always trying to improve. <laughs> it's phenomenal. We're getting some great feedback about that strategy for finding wholesale. You know, and maybe that's one of the things that is, you know, we got to end the show. I got to go here in a minute. But one of the things you guys said early on that we kind of cruised past is, you're not looking to establish new brands on Amazon and new products that the world's never heard of necessarily as much as you are saying, hey, what's selling well? Let's source that. Let's create some bundles off of that. So learning to research what's working, you know, that's the skill set we teach people. That's the replens model, if you will. That's learning the basic tools that we teach. So you're not just guessing and throwing new products out there and trying to market them to the world in a brand new way. There's plenty of room, as you guys have discovered, to just go with the momentum that's already there and find ways to supply those products. So I just want to make sure the listeners understood that today too from your story, because I thought it was an important part of what you guys have built. But I have a feeling I could turn the microphone back to you guys about four more times and we need to get more value. But I got to go pick up my daughter and we need to end this one for our listeners, man. It's been such a delight hanging out with you guys though, getting to know you a little bit. I do hope to meet you in person at some point. But uh, God bless all the business building warriors out there who hung out with us today. I'm sure you benefited from this episode. I know I sure did. I feel challenged. I feel like I need to step up my discipline game after hanging out with these guys today. (laughs) They really challenged me. And uh, just a delight again, like I said. So from our team and from John and Lisa to all the listeners today, God bless you. We're in your corner. We're here for you. Come be a part of our community. Just imagine you know, tens of thousands of great people around the world like these guys in one community. We're, we're certainly blessed. We'd love to have you come join us and see what we can do to help you grow an incredible business online. But until next time, like I said, God bless the business building warriors and we're in your corner. We'll talk to you then. Hey, before I go, one last reminder, payoneer.com, a tremendous sponsor of this show. You can get 10% off your first fees by going to payoneer.com slash funding. Tell them you came from our program. They're going to take good care of you up to $750,000 for Amazon and Walmart sellers. Hey, if you're needing some funding with some good flexible payback terms with no credit check, you're going to love these guys. Go check them out. Thank you for listening to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Visit silentgym.com for a link to our free newsletter, our free Facebook group, and all of our resources mentioned on today's show.